This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery. Delighted to be here today to tell you my ideas contained within um, Actually Still Moving is the latest book um, that I've written. And an honor to be here after all of these um, people, how, how inspiring that has been. I've just come back from Shanghai, so saw a bit about what's happening in China. And in fact, I actually mentioned Lego in my latest book, and, and I think I've quoted your book. So there's obvious method in the madness of putting us all together here on the stage. So I'm going to be talking about the how of leading change, or the how of leading innovation, which is really I've devoted my professional career to studying change, and in particular, how to lead change. And boy, we need a different how in today's world. And I'm going to just share with you four key messages about a radical new way of doing the how. So I don't deal with the what, what you have to do, but how do you actually do it? So four key messages. They're based on um, a lot of applied research I've actually done, looking at change, particularly highly complex, high magnitude change, what works better than others. Uh, my own personal experience um, in companies like BBC, um, PepsiCo, and Shell of leading change myself. So my first message about how to lead change in today's world is to contrast what I call, people often ask me, what do you mean by change? And I contrast the difference between what I call action and movement. I think it was Hemingway, actually, who said, never confuse action and movement. So action, we can get very, very busy in change. And I call action is the unconscious repetition of past routine. You know, the hamster in the wheel, launching lots and lots and lots and lots of initiatives. Whereas movement is the intentional rewiring of the source of the patterns. It's the disturbance of repeating patterns and doing it in an intentional way. So a big industrial German company wanting to become less hierarchical, more innovative, working across silos, more agile, I think is the sexy word to use today. And it launched this change program that was the most over-engineered. You know, let's set up a centralized change department. Um, really? <laughs> um, so what they were actually doing, they were trying to get to a new outcome, but unconsciously, the current culture was still in play. So they were getting very busy, and that's what I call action versus movement, doing things that fundamentally change the system. Not really surprising. A lot of the panel people here this morning were saying, why can't we get change right? Neuroscience, the amygdala in our brain, threat detectors, six out of the primary emotions in our brain trigger what is called the avoid response. So when the brain encounters something new, fear, anger, Disgust, shame, sadness, surprise. The brain actually neurochemically tells us to keep doing what you've always done. It's hardly surprising that change is so difficult. So how do we actually get movement rather than action? So the research that I've done has showed that there are two big things that enable you to have movement genuinely going to a new place rather than just repeating the current routines. And they are the skill of leaders, and the choice of change approach. So my second message relates to the skill of leaders. And my second message is what I call being before doing. 
So what my research showed is that we tend to leap into action, the need to do something. And what I talk about in my new book, Still Moving, is that movement comes from a still place. Now, I know in China, when I was in Shanghai, <laughs> all of the pace, it's quite an interesting message with, with China last week I was, when I was in Shanghai. But what it showed was that the, the more a leader can be very calm and able to tune into and regulate your emotional and mental response to experience, I think the new word now is mindfulness, to become more mindful and much more self-aware, the more able you are to lead big change. So being able to tune into and regulate your emotional states. When I was the people director at the BBC, it was astonishing um, how I was going up in the lift one morning at Wood Lane um, in West London, and I was a bit irritable maybe, maybe I hadn't a great night's sleep, whatever. By lunchtime, the organization thought I was going to do a big restructuring. I thought, what? You know, my mood was just a bit sort of, you know, off in the elevator, but the word got round that, oh my God, the people director, she was looking a bit off this morning, she didn't look very calm in the lift, you know, and this got then amplified what's going to happen now, maybe she was anxious, is there a board meeting today? <laughs> so literally, our emotional states are contagious. Our limbic states leap between minds. So unless the leader can tune into and regulate your emotions, that will actually spread like wildfire in the organization. So attending to the quality of your being as a leader, has to precede what you do. So being before doing. My third message about leading change differently is what I call make disturbance your friend. This is now about the doing side of leading change. So most movement occurs when difficulty is seen, when disturbance or what's difficult or what people are anxious about is acknowledged and given a place. And this was the skill most correlated with success in leading change in our research. The ability to confront and talk about reality in a very transparent and open way. And I have seen more changes fail, not because of a lack of a vision, but lack of attention to current reality. What's here now? My fourth and final message about the how, how of leading change today, is now relating to the overall approach to change. And in my book, there's a whole chapter on what I call Now is the Time for Emergence. A book written in 1999, Stephen Johnson, just called Emergence. The study of complex systems, systems that can continually innovate, have emergent properties. There is no command and control, no CEO running an ant colony, but somehow the ants all know exactly what to do. So emergent change is when you give up you know, directing, you give up shaping as a leader, and I think I've heard it saying this morning, let things unfold. Emergent change is the capacity to give up control and let things unfold. But it is commanded by a very, very important intention. So I work a lot with the leader's intention then having a set of what's called hard rules to govern people's behavior, establish networks, go to where the ripe issues are, and that is what is um, emergent approach to change. Don't have huge, big programs that you roll out across your company. In our research, um, adopting an emergent change approach was highly correlated with success in quick pace, high magnitude change. But it's very counterintuitive because often leaders want to control things rather than actually 
you know, uh, work more through the framework and let the people innovate. So now is the time for emergence. So the difference between action and movement, becoming very conscious of your routines, uh, having leaders work on their quality of their being, their inner mental and emotional states. The whole doing is around naming reality, amplifying disturbance. And RWE, they had a new leadership skill, which was called, can we be comfortable with being uncomfortable? It's really interesting. It's a core capacity if you're leading change, because it will be difficult. It will be hard. And finally, using a less top-down, less programmatic, and a much more emergent, fluid, step-by-step, go-to-the-ripe-issues approach to change, all highly correlated with success. A final thought just to leave you on, and again, a thank you here. I don't know if she's here now, but Sarah Green Carmichael. I wrote an article in HBR online last year about how do you cultivate these capacities, and I called it Why Leadership Development is Not Developing Leadership. Um, so all of these four capacities are, are huge enemies to the ego, um, which is why it is so difficult to do. And interestingly, I said that the role of faculty in that article was the notion of Sherpas. And I think, I don't know whether Rita is here, but she talked about this role of Sherpas. So those are my big messages about how to lead change differently um, in today's world. And, and Still Moving is um, a book that's just published this year, which will expand on it in much more detail. So thank you very much. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery.